I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Tell your story. Author, psychologist, musician. Listen to Dr. Karen to encourage your life. I'm all about taking charge, taking charge of your thoughts, taking charge of your life. I say it every week and how sometimes when we have intense emotions, we can get caught ruminating and obsessing. And we've looked at the research and how that actually doesn't help us at all. In fact, it keeps us stuck and it keeps us depressed rather than helping move us forward. Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. Very important. Very important. What are they doing to keep that excitement and that in love feeling? Channel a path to a more authentic you. Okay, this week, fight all you want, but whenever you fight, you have to hold hands. Learn how to have true intimacy. Yeah, bottle that up and sell it. (laughs) We want to make sure that the activities we're doing together are charging us up, getting us excited, giving us pleasurable feelings, and then helping us stay attracted to one another. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Love and life. I'm all about living authentically and finding the best version of you and living life to its fullest. Turn up your dial. Get connected. You're listening to Dr. Karen on Love and Life right now. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. Hi there. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'm a psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, and musician. You might know me from my latest book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. Here on Love and Life, we talk about living and relating authentically in all realms of life. We look at how to have true intimacy in romantic relationships, more meaningful friendships, healthier family connections, more productive and fulfilling careers, and we learn methods for staying happy, hopeful, and positive, all while channeling a path to a more authentic you, living an authentic life. So on Love and Life, we cover a great deal of topics. I mean, obviously, love and life, I mean, that's a pretty broad spectrum. (laughs) It pretty much covers the gamut. And we deal with a lot of important topics from a psychologist's point of view. And we look at the research and theories and, and how we understand human relating and behaving and thinking. And when we talk about life, we obviously have to talk about a very important topic that we haven't touched on on the podcast yet. And that's death, which is obviously part of life, a painful oftentimes horrific part of life and something that frankly a lot of us avoid thinking about and avoid talking about because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and it's hurtful and so oftentimes one of those subjects that we don't really have a good way of managing and handling as we go through our daily day-to-day interactions So I do want to cover it on Love and Life. It's important, and as I said, our culture really doesn't do a good job with it. I'm not an anthropologist, obviously, but I don't know if other cultures maybe are better than American culture. But, for example, here we give people, if you have a loss, if you experience a death, we give you two days bereavement, and then we expect you to be back at work with your A-game. We don't really have any kind of terms or we don't really have protocol for how to approach people when they're grieving and when they're going through loss. And maybe in the past, we were even better at it. I'm not sure, but I think about years ago when a woman would lose a husband, she would wear black for a year. I think it was just minimum of a year that she would wear black. And that gave her an identity and a signal. I'm a widow. That's her identity. 
I'm, I'm taking on this new identity based on the loss I've experienced. And I'm wearing black, which signals everyone, gives them kind of a, a heads up. Here's what I'm going through. Please be careful with how you treat me because I'm fragile right now. I'm grieving. That was a tradition that at some point went by the wayside. And I think that probably makes things more difficult for all of us because we don't really have good protocol, a good process for interacting with people when they're going through profound loss. And I think about even a term like widow or widower, which does provide a person who's lost a spouse that identity. That again, because words are powerful and because our language is influenced by our societal thoughts and our societal norms. So we give that person who's experienced that particular type of loss, we give them, this is this is now your experience and we give you a label, which then again can be helpful because people go, well, she's a widow or he's a widower. But what about if you lose someone and there's a unique component to it because that wasn't your spouse and yet the loss was just as profound. So I'm thinking about, for example, someone who's lost a fiance. You're not dating. It wasn't just a boyfriend or girlfriend. And you were engaged to be married. You had hopes and dreams for a life together. And yet that doesn't happen because of the loss of one of the fiancés. We don't have a term for that. Where does that leave someone? And I'm wondering if in those situations that the loss could then be compounded by this nebulous space that you're in. You don't get the societal understanding of, well, this is a widow, so this person, we can, we can know a little bit how to handle this person or how to respond to this person. When there's no name for the loss, is there perhaps a more intense even or pain that is doubled in a way or I don't know if doubled, I don't know if there's any point in quantifying it, but if there's an additional component to the pain because we really don't know how to deal with it. And so to delve into this topic a little bit, to look at and examine a unique grief, I'd like to invite to the podcast Christine Infanger. And we've connected over the last couple years through another podcast that we both listened to, The Girls Hour, which is an awesome podcast, by the way. (laughs) Shout out to Jen and Michelle. And we connected on Twitter and had this really, which is, again, I've talked about a little bit on Love and Life. Every once in a while, you have this really organic connection that feels very much like if you ran into someone at a party and you just hit it off. And it actually happened through tweets. (laughs) And then we met up for dinner because we didn't live too far away from each other. And as we got to talking, I came to know that Christine has experienced a very unique grief. And she was willing to share some of her, her story with me when we met. And then I asked her if she'd be willing to share some of her story with you, because I think one of the things that can be important about a podcast like this, where we cover so many different topics, but if we can learn from each other's story and each other's experience, how to best then handle, especially some of these situations in our culture where we don't really have a roadmap. I think that could be something that could be useful for all of us. So Christine, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to Love and Life. Thank you for having me, Karen. It's great to finally be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it, especially because we are talking about a very sensitive topic and one that I think many people would have a hard time sharing because it's going to require some vulnerability, which I I just, I appreciate your courage. And I know that you are not just doing my show, but you have been doing some writing about this. And so it seems like it's very much a part of your 
processing your pain and your recovery but I also know that as much as that will be important for you and helpful, I know that you're going to help a lot of other people. So thank you so much for being willing to share. Oh, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, not not the most fun stuff to talk about, but I know when I was experiencing it, I couldn't find any resources. So if I can make somebody feel a little bit better and a little bit less like they're not the only one in that situation, then then I will have done something productive. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that is a really beautiful motivation because there are many times those situations where you you feel so isolated and that's of course the beauty of social media and and the beauty of podcasts and and books if they're available but oftentimes they're not and i don't know you know books are a little bit different because you have to get an agent and a publisher and so maybe that format is not always as available someone who has something to say if it, if the publisher doesn't deem it to be a bestseller right. it may not get published and then that important message will not be able to be available to folks but i guess to start to give listeners an, an understanding of kind of where you're coming from with this topic and this subject and if you don't mind sharing a little bit of your story just to kind of catch everyone up to speed sure so i was never someone that always needed to be in a relationship i was never the girl that dreamt about her wedding i really had no interest in any of that um, until i met the person i wanted to marry and uh, he was very ill for a long time and then he had a, a stretch of over a year where he had been healthy so we thought the worst was over and then, oh, trying to think of the timeline, um, I just got a really weird feeling one day. I knew he hadn't been feeling well, but we didn't think he was at his worst um, in terms of his health. So we had made an appointment for him to go to a doctor in Chicago when he came home for the weekend because he would commute downstate for work. And I just, I just had a, a bad feeling that something was wrong. And... Um, he sent me an email saying he had just gotten a job in Chicago and he was going to be moving back. And I thought, okay, I'm just being silly. Um, everything's on track now. He's coming back here. We can get married. He can go to doctors in Chicago because it made me feel better to have him going to doctors in Chicago. And um, he died that night. Oh. And it was very sudden. It was very unexpected. Right. Um, he just kind of shut down. His body just shut down. So that next morning, uh, I just... I felt this gnawing sense that something was just wrong. Mm. And he's 300 miles away. So there wasn't, it's not like I could just drive down the street and and check on him. So I called this doorman and I said, I know you're going to think I'm nuts. (laughs) And maybe I am. But I'm in Chicago. He's been sick all this time. He's not at work. Do you mind just knocking on the door? And if he's not, if he doesn't answer, just please call 911. Yeah. So about 35 minutes later, I got a phone call from a detective telling me that they had found him dead on the floors of of his apartment that morning. Oh, my. That, I mean, your intuition and just that sense and then battling that, you know, part of you like, no, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just freaking out because everything is finally falling into place for us. Exactly. And And then to lose him. And it was all stuff I'd never done. Like, I'd never asked his colleagues if he was at work before yeah I I, even when he was sick I I just never had that feeling before even when he was in the hospital um I always just kind of felt like he's he's gonna pull through this he's gonna be okay but that day you know calling the doorman and and asking at work if he was there it's just not stuff that was my nature to do that I'm not someone that's always checking up on my boyfriend (laughs) you know trying to see if they're where they say they are that was it's all very antithetical to me so I don't know what it was about 
how all that came together that made me just kind of yeah. feel like something was very, very wrong. But I was not wrong. No, sadly. <laughs> Unfortunately. Right. From there, I'm curious, death and then you are a part of things. But like we talked about a little bit earlier, you're not the wife. So there's this whole part of the process that you were almost the wife, but then not. And so then I would imagine that then the steps toward even funeral preparation and all these things that would then be part of uh, what a wife would do with her husband's passing, you didn't do. And I would imagine as painful as those steps would have been, they could have also been partly therapeutic and you were denied that. Initially, um, his parents, I have to say, were wonderful. And they they told me right away they would let me be involved in as much or as little as I wanted to be involved mm-hmm. in. So they could have very easily not been in the state of mind to even think about it. Sure. Or not granted me that courtesy because right. I had no legal rights. Right. And as much as people talk about marriage only being about a piece of paper, there are times that piece of paper right. is very important to in terms of what your rights are and what you can do and what you can do to be proactive in a situation. So had his parents tried to shut me out or something, I would have had no recourse. Right. But they were wonderful. And uh, I was able to plan everything with his his family. Um, His sister pretty much took the reins and did most of the coordinating. Mm -hmm. But um, his brothers and sister and I picked out the casket together. We Mm -hmm. went to the cemetery together. We all did that stuff. And they included me in every aspect of that, which they didn't need to. But it was wonderful. I don't want to say it was easy because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I went from, you know, picking out wedding stuff and going over who our wedding party was going to oh be. Oh, my gosh. We just tentatively booked a, a date for Wrigley Field because that's where we were going to get married. And then literally two days later, we're shopping for caskets. And they could have made that so much harder, but but yeah. they really included me like I was part of the family. So that did help a lot. Yeah, that was a tiny, tiny little blessing in the midst of that. You're listening to Dr. Karen Anderson Abril on Love and Life. Go to her website, drkarin dot me. That's www.drkarin with a K dot me. Have any questions or would like to share your story with Dr. Karen? Email her, Karen, K-A-R-I-N at drkarin dot me. So what you just talked about reminds me of something that's very, uh, a theory that's very well known in the grief literature. It's by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she proposed this theory in her 1969 book on death and dying. So really it's become part of, uh, most people are pretty familiar with her stages of grief. And the first stage is denial. And so when you're talking about going from one day planning your wedding party and getting ready to book Wrigley Field, and then the next day finding out through your fiance's doorman that he's passed away. I mean, that is such a dramatic change of events in a 24-hour, 48-hour period of time. What kept going through my head when you were saying that was shock, 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 shock. Like, how do you, you, how do you possibly wrap your mind around that? And so did you experience any of that, that, that first stage 
that Kubler-Ross proposes of denial? Like, was there that period of just shock, like, this cannot be happening? Because one of the things about the stages that subsequent research has looked at is that not everyone hits every stage. So they, they're not truly stages in the sense that they're linear, that you go from denial and then the next one is anger, then bargaining, then depression, and then acceptance. And I think in some ways, many of us would like that we could go, okay, this is what I can expect through this grieving I'm experiencing. Right. And once I get done with that denial check, then I'll get to the anger and I'll have a little season of that and I'll get through that. Right. Yeah, it was it was definitely shocking. Um, when I got the phone call that he had died, I was actually driving a car full of children home from preschool. Mm. So I think that probably helped in mm. that instant. I mean, I started crying, but I, I kept it together because I had to keep them safe. Right. right. But as soon as we got to the driveway, I jumped out of the car, I was banging on the neighbor's door, and I just collapsed. Yeah. Because I don't know that I ever denied it. It was just so surreal. Like right. I, it was just a constant state of absolute shock and fog. And right. his body, had, I mean, not to be morbid, but because he did, he was downstate. So the funeral directors had to go and get him. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until five days later during the wake that, as much as I knew he died, I wasn't denying it per se, but it didn't really strike me until I saw him at the funeral home for the first time. Mm-hmm. My parents and I got there early, and um, and I, I don't know what I was expecting, <laughs> but I walked yeah. into this room, and there he was, and I it just... Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. And there's a Radiohead song called How to Disappear Completely. And one of the lines just keeps going, I'm not here, this isn't happening. I'm not here, this isn't happening. And I just played that on a loop in my head. And I couldn't stop looking at him because I couldn't, I don't don't know. It just, the kind of shock that, you know, you don't look away from the accident. You have to look to it to to drill it into you that it's real or to process that it's happening. Right. You know, I thought I would be prepared for what I would go through because I lost my dad. I lost my grandpa, Mm -hmm. who was like my father. He raised me my entire life. Two weeks before uh, Michael died, my fiance, um, my cousin tragically lost her infant son. So loss wasn't new to Mm -hmm. me. But I remember telling his brother, I know the next year is going to be bad because I remember how I felt when my dad died. And I had no idea just because the nature of the relationship was so different. And he was part of everything I did. He was Mm -hmm. part of every aspect of my life. So it wasn't like, not seeing my grandpa in his chair. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, not being able to call my dad in Florida when I wanted to talk about cars or, mm-hmm. or sports or whatever we, was we would talk about. Instantly, every single thing was different. Mm-hmm. That was really hard to deal with, you know, not getting his phone calls when he was leaving work at five o'clock every day. And just those little parts of the routine that are so integral to a relationship and you don't realize how, they, how important they really are mm-hmm. until they're, they're gone. Even though it's been seven years, there are still times when I can't believe it's real and I can't believe it's been this long or I can't believe that, you know, kind of my life turned out Mm -hmm. this way and this is the path I ended up on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the five stages are are definitely not linear like you said yeah um it's it's kind of like weather in chicago you know you can can have snow and 85 on the same day it's kind of that sort Mm -hmm. of parallel where you you go through all of them at one time sometimes you linger in a couple of them for a while sometimes you have them going on at the same time i think all of us grapple at some point or at many points in life the lack of fairness and logic and 
I know that when I've been through and have not been through the loss you've been through, but the losses I've encountered, one thing that has been very painful and kind of heaping salt into the wound has been when someone has tried to provide me with some fairness and logic to to the loss when I'm quite convinced that they don't have that answer for me yet they're quite convinced that they have that answer and they have all the best intentions and yet what they're sharing with me is actually not helping at all even though I understand that that's their motivation is to help so I'm curious if there were any particular comments that you heard from time to time that actually were counterproductive in terms of making you feel better. Oh, for sure. The well-intentioned idiocy, (laughs) as I I said before. Um, I like that. Yeah, people are very well-meaning. And and it's clear when people aren't saying things out of malice or to make you feel bad. They're trying to relate to you. They're trying to provide some kind of comfort. And mine wasn't a situation where I had lost someone that was 95 who had lived their fullest life and accomplished the things they wanted to accomplish. So I think in those kinds of situations, when it's not someone who's, quote, supposed to die, that's when people get really uncomfortable. Yes. Because there's almost a part of it where they think it's contagious, too, if you like, where, like, they don't want your, your, not your bad vibes necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to accept that maybe that could be their reality. Mm -hmm. So that makes them even more uncomfortable. So I heard a lot of, a lot of comparisons to divorce that was probably the most common thing that i heard was something along the lines of i know exactly how you feel i was divorced or i'm separated from my husband or i'm separated from my wife and while i I absolutely know that's its own kind of loss and its own tragedy and and requires its own mourning period it's not the same and that is again getting into why i'm even talking to you because it's it's one of those things where i didn't really fit anywhere the, probably the most hurtful thing was was when somebody told me, at, at least you weren't married yet. Okay, because why does that help? Because apparently, the, <laughs> I mean, the, you know, if we'd been married the day before, I guess it, it would have been a more valid grief. I don't know. See, that, yeah, the validity, that's the piece I'm wondering. And again, I know they're just trying to, to say something to make me feel better. Yeah. But what people don't know is they're not going to make someone feel better, whether they lost their dog or their cat or their fish or their husband of 55 years or their child or a sibling. You're not going to make that person ever feel better. But there are a lot of things people can say that make you feel really, really worse. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, like I'm floored that someone would ever try to compare death to divorce, which yes, yes, they're both lost. Yes, but I mean, I'm I'm astounded that someone ever came at you with that. I really am. Oh, not someone. I mean, ask anyone in in this community, and everyone's heard it. That's amazing to me. It's probably, I mean, if there's a book of go-to things to say, I think that's probably atop the list because I've not encountered anyone in a situation similar to mine who hasn't heard that. That is really, yeah. Okay, so. This then that's then it's a really important word for listeners to hear if they see themselves heading in that direction of making that comparison. Please do not. It's not helpful. Yeah, and and again, there are aspects you can relate to mm-hmm. when someone's going through that. It's a huge change. Your your life plan has changed, and sometimes you didn't get a say. I know plenty of people who who didn't amicably get divorced, but one partner surprised the other one and said, "You know, I'm out." Right. So a lot of the aspects do parallel, absolutely, but it's it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's still not the same. And I think about funerals and how everyone's anxious and nervous when they go because we know if you're going, you're attending, 
you've lost someone, but obviously the family and the, and the close group of folks that were very closely connected to this person, they're grieving at a different level. And people are so anxious and so awkward. And it's partly, again, because we don't have any kind of script for this. We don't have any in a good way to go about this in our culture. And I think, and I've heard from other people, um, one of my best friends lost her mother very young. And she said that very much what you're saying, just just be careful. Just an I'm sorry is is enough. And and just to be with the person, just the willingness to go and sit in that very sad, sad space with that person. It, just being there in their presence is communicating your empathy and, and your concern. For sure. And I think some people avoid those circumstances. Oh, absolutely. And I had tons of people just vanish. Yeah. People that I would have thought would stick by me, would, would be there if I needed them. And I guess that if there's a, a benefit, you really do really strengthen the relationships that matter. Mm-hmm. And you also find new ones that you that you didn't ever expect to find because you're in this new little club. Yeah. So I befriended a woman who was my, she's my best friend's aunt's sister. So it's kind of <laughs> kind of a six degrees of separation mm-hmm. thing. We met December of 2010, I think. Two, that maybe it was 2011, it was the next year. And her husband had died the August after my fiance died. And she's way older than me. It's not like we would ever be in the same mm-hmm. setting and in any way able to relate to anything the other had to say. But we had this huge thing in common. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, she was a wonderful, unexpected friendship. And and she's always there for me. I'm there for her. We email, we talk. And I know if I'm crying or I need to cry or or something good is going on, but kind of related to my grief, like when I started dating. I called her and I said, you know, this is what I'm going through and mm-hmm. and she's always there to support me. But talking about what can be helpful, I think the most helpful thing I, I heard, and this is just my experience, but a lot of people were telling me, you know, you'll find someone new or you can date again as if I was just sad because I was going to have to date or something. I don't right. know, it, was, it was very weird, but I heard a lot of that. And my friend Polly, who I've known since I was ni- 18 or 19, she's kind of like my surrogate mom. She said to me, right when it happened, she said, you know, you may never find another relationship like a romantic relationship again. And that's okay. If you just want to be alone, you're allowed to do that. The simplicity of it Mm -hmm. actually floored me. Because for a week or two weeks, I'd been hearing, oh, you'll date again. You'll meet someone new. Oh, my gosh. And I didn't want to hear it. But finally, somebody just said, no, maybe you won't. Maybe you won't want to. And if you don't, that's okay. And it just felt like it took so much pressure off of me, mm-hmm. even though she was just one person. But it, it just kind of made me say, okay, you know, this is something that I can control and mm-hmm. and I don't have to do this mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel right for me or if I'm not ready or if I'm in too much pain. And it it's just the most simplistic thing, but just letting people know that they have control a little bit right? because you don't feel like you do. And you feel isolated anyway. And then you've got everybody telling you that your grief isn't valid or they can relate because they had a hamster die when they were four or <laughs> whatever. Any number right. of things people say to, to break the awkward silence. Right. But that was so helpful. Hi, I'm Miriam Connor, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. 
coming back to kind of the, the stages again, I didn't wear black for a year, but I did only wear his clothes for three months. Mm. I don't know why. Just I have absolutely no idea why. It mm-hmm. was just one of the things I did. And Easter was right after when he died. And my best friend, the one who introduced me to my, my older friend, Carol, um, invited me to her family's house for Easter. And I said, you know, I, I, it's only been however, a month or something. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know how I am. I cry all the time. I don't want to bring everybody down. And I wear his clothes. And that's not appropriate Easter attire, <laughs> even if it's a casual day. Right. And she said, no, everybody wants you to come. So just come here and, and spend the day with us. I don't want you to be alone. So I, I got there and she had worn a shirt of his that she kept. So she was in jeans oh and a huge shirt. Oh. Just like I was to kind of know, let me know that, oh my that she was with me. She said nothing. Didn't tell me she was doing it. I mean, and it seems like such a, a simple gesture, but just to know that my friend who always wanted her hair just so and her makeup on and, you know, she's she's a pretty girl. She likes to dress in cute clothes and mm-hmm. just knowing that she would do that for me. That's a really beautiful, a really beautiful story to me that a friendship and love. And I think another thing that I've heard from other people I've talked to over the years about grief that I think you brought up, which is another really important point to leave listeners with is the cards the lasagna the first week wonderful but this grief continues so please don't after a month expect the person to be back with their a game and please continue to ask and I want to ask you because I've heard from other people please continue to ask how I'm doing and was that your experience yeah that definitely happens for me and everybody's different I can only Mm -hmm. speak for myself and what I was comfortable with if that's the right way to say it I didn't mind people asking me how mm-hmm. I was I didn't mind people talking about him mm-hmm. um, he was very involved with a band that we both loved and months later people would send me emails about stories that they had shared with him and something that reminded them of him and I loved that mm-hmm. I didn't want to imagine him away Right. I didn't want to pretend it didn't happen but a lot of people do because they don't they don't want to trigger you crying. They right. don't want to trigger your sadness because they don't understand that it's there anyway. That's right. Even if you're faking your way through a social event or something, you're dying inside. Mm-hmm. And even if you're laughing for a minute, it's mm-hmm. it's not the way you laughed before. Mm-hmm. And that person is always in your thoughts. And mentioning them just makes me know that you haven't forgotten about them. Right. I, I think I'll say they're always comforting because that's what you have and they're right. still very real even this person is not physically with us anymore. Yeah, those memories hurt at first. Yeah. You're grateful for them but it's hard to remember, you know, happy things. It's hard mm-hmm. to see text messages in your phone. Oh my gosh. Things like that. Oh. But you don't want them not there either. Right. I didn't anyway. I just, I, I, and I guess I do kind of, to the extent that our culture does struggle with handling one another's emotions I don't think we're really that good at it and I uh, again I want to assume that people are coming from a very tender heartfelt place but then I also do do agree with you at times people may not want to bring things up well I don't want Christine to get upset I don't want to see her cry but is that really about you or is that oh that causes them to be uncomfortable right and they don't want to feel uncomfortable, yeah. so please don't cry, because then I'll feel uncomfortable. <laughs> right. It'll right. be weird for both of us. Just don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Hi, I'm Maureen, and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life in Mississippi. 
and and again it, people are different in responses as you're saying but i think there's the universality of loss mm -hmm. and the more that we have conversations about it the more i think we can equip ourselves to be more sensitive oh definitely and it's hard to equip yourself because you first of all need to be in a horrible situation to to glean that experience right. and nobody wants to be right but you also when you're like I, the problem i had well one of many but i'm somebody that likes i like to relate to people i like researching things i like to understand things i like the logic behind things so i was very into watching aut autopsies and understanding mm. that process. That was another weird obsession I had at first. But then when I started looking for a grief counselor, looking for a bereavement group, looking for books, there wasn't anywhere that I had a group of peers mm -hmm. in the sense of people who had been through my experience at my point in my relationship. And there are so many bereavement groups that focus on cancer deaths or suicide deaths or addiction or military spouses. And all of those people absolutely have their own unique grieving processes. But I couldn't find any groups for people who lost a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiance, because they all cater specifically to one group, whether it's parents who've lost children or people who were hit by drunk drivers or mm -hmm. any number of little niche groups within the grieving community. There was none for me. There were no books about what to do when you're not married yet. Their right. podcasts weren't really around then. They, no. they were just kind of starting. Right. So there wouldn't have been one like yours where somebody would be doing a show about it. Right. And I just, you're isolated enough. And then to feel like I can't possibly be the only person that this has happened to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen this stuff on the news before, <laughs> but there's no support for it. So I went to a young widows group that my grief counselor had had told me about she'd heard good things about it and even there i was the youngest person by probably 15 years wow and i wasn't married right i mean i wasn't technically a widow it was just another place for me to feel like i was alone because mm -hmm. these are the people i'm supposed to be able to relate to and these are the people that i'm supposed to find comfort in because yes. they've been through what i've been through they didn't get the lifetime together. They didn't get the 75 years of memories. Right. So I'm supposed to be able to relate to these people, and I feel even more alone here. So you're already grieving. You're already experienced profound loss. You already feel isolated, and now you feel more isolated because you're supposed to be able to relate to these people. You're supposed to have common ground here, and you're not feeling it, which, again, sounds to me like heaping more. Oh, for sure. Hi, I'm Michelle from Valparaiso, Indiana, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life. Well, one thing you've talked about is your writing and, and contributing to books. And so, in a sense, it sounds like there's been now a vehicle for some of this that wasn't available to you. Like you said, when you went looking to the self-help section, a book that was really specific to your particular grief was not available. And so I'm, I'm curious how you stumbled upon the folks who are writing this book and were able to have the opportunity to contribute. Yeah, so I, I don't actually even remember how I found them, but it's called The Grief Diaries, and it's a collection of books that 
they solicit and, and accept contributions from everybody from everywhere. And every book is about something very specific. So my husband was killed in the line of fire and his police work mm-hmm. has its own book. Okay. Military spouses have their own book. Yeah. Um, cancer, diabetes, everything you can imagine has its own book. So I was finally able to see a book about sudden loss mm-hmm. and one about losing your partner when you're not married yet. Mm-hmm. Whether it's because you're not allowed to be or you've chosen not to be or for whatever circumstance mm-hmm. may apply to you. Um, but it was specifically about what I needed it to be about. Right. So I just finished contributing to those two books. They'll be out in July. And it's a wonderful series. They also focus on things people would, would be handling in their personal lives, like self-harm and, and their own addictions, not related to grief and obesity. And it's just a, a great series oh, wow. that helps a lot of people who maybe don't have an outlet for their specific right. need. From what you've shared, it's really clear that... Yes, there's universality to the experience of loss and grief, but there is also a need for that that connection to people who really get your specific experience. Right. I mean, because here you were in a grief group that was supposed to be supportive, and it wasn't. You know, no. so you really had to find other places to have people that you could resonate with in terms of they got it. Right. And so uh, once again. Technology can be evil, but here it is used for good right. because griefdiaries.com is where folks should head over if they want to kind of check out some support for loss that's unique and specific. And so, I mean, I like to end my program with a love and life hack, which usually is on a little bit more of a love and life hack note. <laughs> but even though we've talked about serious and somber things, I, I think the love and life hack we can leave listeners with, Christine, is that I, I just, it was so poignant the way you said it. Listen, you're not going to say anything to make anything better. You're not going to help your friend feel better, or your loved one feel better, but you really can say something that can make them feel worse. So be sensitive, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Even though, it, you know, grief doesn't end, and that's something that was kind of surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Then here seven years later, I still have bad days. I still mm-hmm. have things that I struggle with. But it does get a little bit better in time. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can rebuild your life, but nobody telling you that in the throes of your sadness is going to make you feel like it's true. Because I honestly thought my life was over. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be able to do anything. I'm going to be living with 85 cats. And I'm <laughs> fine with that because I'm so <laughs> sad that I don't care if I wake up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but it, in time, it, it gets a little bit easier. Yeah, I went through this horrible thing. But I'm so grateful that I had him. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't change that ever. Christine, I want to thank you again for coming and sharing and your heart and sharing your story and being so vulnerable because I do believe so much of what you've experienced and been willing to communicate today. I think it will be very, very beneficial for, for my listeners. And so just thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you. It was really, really nice to be here. Hi, I'm Vicki Zarley, and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life in Palmdale, California. And Christine, before I let you go, in case listeners have any questions or would like to reach out to you, is, is there a place where they can find you? 
I'm everywhere. <laughs> I'm on all social media. That's how we met. Yep. Um, and on, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, so yeah, you can find me at 30 Roses on Instagram and Twitter. You can email me through my website, 30roses.com, and I get lots of correspondence about things I write about grief there. So people can reach out to me however they're comfortable. Excellent. Thanks so much. And you can find me at my website, www.drkaren.me. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Facebook, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Instagram, I'm at Dr. Karen. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me your story or suggest a topic that we'd cover on the podcast. I'm at Karen at drkaren.me. Thanks so much for subscribing and liking my podcast. I'm on iTunes, SoundCloud, and we're also on Stitcher and Spreaker at Dr. Karen Love and Life. If you head over to my website, you can sign up for my Riff on Relationships. I send out one to two emails a month just letting you know what I'm blogging about, what I'm covering on the podcast, and any appearances I might be making. Please let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover. I want this to be your show as much as it is mine. Thanks to my producer, Michelle Musso, my communications manager, Dale Gregory, and to Christine Infanger for sharing her story today. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, make it a great week.